You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we have Anthony Agogo, a Formula Olympian, boxer, and current professional wrestler. Anthony won bronze at the 2012 Olympic Games in London before turning professional in 2013. Anthony's dealt with many roadblocks in his career and his life, which we discuss in depth throughout this conversation. These roadblocks eventually ended in Anthony having to retire from boxing due to injury. This is a real honest, cut-in, and no-holds-barred conversation in which Anthony and I explore topics such as what mental traits do Olympians possess? How do we properly set goals? What is the right way to deal with failure and setbacks? How can we shift the goalposts? How can we avoid setbacks defining us? How do we find our identity and meaning in life? And so much more. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. So, on this show, I've interviewed millionaire businessmen, authors, actors, speakers, but never an Olympian. And they say it's like a one in half a million chance that someone will become an Olympian, which begs the question, are there any traits that you've noticed all Olympians seem to possess? Well, I think I think it's just this. Uh, I can only, I can only talk for myself. I can't talk about other people because obviously I've, like, everybody else have their own journeys and their own careers and stuff. Um, I'd like to think there's, and this is going to sound really arrogant, and hopefully we'll talk more about me and my career later on. People will hear me hear what I've got to say and realise that it's not quite as arrogant as as. as as it seems without any background knowledge of me, but I think there's Olympians, Olympic medalists, whatever. And then there's me, like not in my own like stratosphere, but I think I'm separate to that because I had so much, like I faced so much adversity along the way. And I've, I've sat and had dinner and, and, and been a function of other Olympians and stuff. And we're all kind of telling our story. And I tell my story and all those guys, like Olympic gold medalists, silver bronze medalists, sitting there with their mouths on the floor looking at me going wow like you went through that you know we th- i thought my journey was hard and you had to come through all that stuff and so point i'm making is i think so i can only talk for myself and i think what i think to become successful in anything whether it's an author or, or a businessman or anything you've got like a, a really strong like a really strong um level of drive and determination and an ability to so when you fall over, which of course you're going to fall over, you're going to suffer setbacks. When you suffer setbacks, you don't like. For myself, I've I've suffered loads of setbacks in my career, in my life. Not once have I ever thought, oh, should I quit? Oh, should I give up? This isn't meant to be. Every single time I've got up, I've dusted myself off, and I've gone again with even more even more enthused, even with even more drive and determination. So I think that's it, really. I think that's that's the main thing I. Obviously, to begin an Olymp- Olympian, 
he had to be like physically um, good. <laughs> he needed to be a certain level of athleticism. But on top of that, I think the mental drive, like the, the t- drive and determination to kind of keep getting up and keep training, training early in the morning, late at night. If you're in a weight category sport like my, like like boxing, you gotta make weight no matter what. You gotta miss nights out with your friends. You gotta miss birthday parties. You gotta miss like having cake, like small trivial things. But things that like when you're a teenager and you're a young man, you want to go out and have a beer with your friends and and watch football. You gotta do that stuff in abundance, really. So, yeah, I think yeah, for, for, for the third time, <laughs> to be successful as an Olympian, you need a a real resolute mindset, strong and determined. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people don't realise is that is that level of sacrifice, and not just in in sports, but in anything really. They they see the glory and they see how nice that be, but they don't see you know all the late nights, all the things that you miss out on, all the birthdays, all the parties, things like that. Yeah, hundred percent. Like Tyson Fury, I wouldn't say he's a mate of mine because I haven't haven't seen him in a couple of years, but we trained together um, from. F- 16 years old to, to 19 on the Great Britain team together. Um, we obviously on the on, on the on the boxing circuit. We see we see each other quite a bit, or used to when I when I used to fight. And people see him now earning like ridiculous amounts of money. Like now, fighting Deontay Wilder and, and whatnot. People, but people don't see the hours and hours and hours and hours of hours of training beforehand. People don't see, people will say he's earned 20 million in one fight. Yeah, kind of, in one perspective, but that's the combination of years of hard work and years of training and years of sacrifice and years of doing the things that other people don't want to do. That's when you're doing them. And um, we might might touch upon it later on. I'm not too sure where you want this conversation to go, but I'm now embarking on a whole new career. My boxing career got cut short because of injury. I'm now a professional wrestler, and I've gone over to America to to, to become a wrestler, and I've walked into one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world in quite a privileged position. And 100%, people look at me and go, he doesn't deserve to be here. Like, you know, I've, I've been busting my ass as a wrestler for years, and I haven't got the opportunity that he's got. And I might get it. I get it, but it's the fact that like I haven't paid my dues, or people say in the wrestling industry. But it's like I say that, but from 12 years old, I was training my ass off. I missed out on so many things. I missed out on on a childhood to to become an Olympian and to be one of the best in the world at what I did. And it's that level of determination which doesn't just open doors for you like during your thing. It will carry on my Olympic medal that I won and my story that I had will carry on opening doors for me, hopefully, in the future, for, for many, many years to come. So That definitely is something I want to get to later on in the episode, but you mentioned that driving force and that motivation. What was the motivation growing up, and you know, what was the true driving force behind all your success to date? For me, it was always to be um, Olympic champion. Olympic gold medalist, always. I was never fussed about... Um, my first memory, I remember being as a kid, my first memory was um, was um, watching Olympic Christie win a gold medal in Barcelona. I was three and a half years old. I, I don't really remember it. I remember my mum and my sisters, all older than me, um, or one younger, but she she bullies me as much as the rest of them, so she may as well be older than me, <laughs> older than me as well. Um they all kind of like danced around the, the, the living room 
um, and Liverpool Christie won a gold medal. And I remember like seeing him talking to the to the TV and all the Union Jacks around the stadium. And I thought, oh, I want that. And I didn't really know exactly what he did or what it was, but I, I wanted that. And I become obsessed by the Olympic Games. And even before I knew what sport I wanted to do, I wanted to become an Olympic champion. And um, so that was the thing that drove me. And then I started boxing when I was 12. And I thought, this is this is the thing. Because up until that point, like, there's a million things I'm not very good at. A million things I'm rubbish at, actually. But luckily, thankfully for me, I've always been good at sport. I've always been one of those guys that can can pick up a badminton racket and I'm pretty good or tennis racket and I can serve really well or, or whatever and thankfully I, I did a few box sports I played football to a high level I played for my captain of my county I played for Norwich up until under 14s but when I was 12 I started boxing and I just loved it I mean it was just it just it ticked every box whereas football and other sports ticked most of the boxes boxing for me ticked every box and and thankfully, I was good at it, and I pursued it. And yeah, the dream was always to become Olympic champion. And um, a lot of kids, a lot, a, lot, a lot of young boxers, when they start boxing, they want to become the next Joe Calzaghe, the next Lennox Lewis, next whoever, um, and become, next Vicky Hatton, and win titles as, as a professional boxer. That wasn't really... I wasn't that fussed by that. I mean... That was always probably going to happen. Had I won, become Olympic champion, because that's the general um, rule of thumb. You could, you do Olympics, you do well, you, you turn pro. But I was never fussed about the world titles. I was always fussed about the Olympic gold medal, and that was the driving force that made me, you know, as I said earlier, sacrifice somewhat of a childhood to be to be a boxer. Yeah, that's something that really fascinates me. You you mentioned that was your your one true goal your entire life up to that point. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about it who set audacious goals. When they finally achieve a goal, they're left with that empty feeling, maybe even disappointment that they now have nothing left to chase. After, you know, post-Olympics, when you'd achieved that goal, when you ticked it off, what was the feeling you were left with now you didn't have that goal to chase anymore? Yeah, so for me, as I mentioned earlier at the top, I mean, my career amateur and pro career has been blighted by adversity both personal professional and so for me i i, I never I, I never achieved it i never got my gold medal at the olympics which i i believe i deserved and, and should have got i am um, so the year before the olympics i dislocated my right shoulder and i had to condense um a 12, 10 month recovery to five months to get to the second qualifier, I went to the qualifier. I qualified in um, in some quite tremendous fights. When I was fought with one arm, I fought one fight. My arm was hanging out of the socket. I could even block with my arm, and I managed to win that fight. And long story short, and I overturned a six-point deficit in one of my fights to qualify. In and add a bit of context, nobody in the previous four-year Olympic cycle had ever overturned a three-point deficit going to the last round. A four-point was unimaginable five points is impossible i was six points down i was three minutes to, to go and i somehow overturned this three point uh, sorry the six point deficit and i qualified and i'd finally got there after after the most torrid up and down topsy-turvy um 12 month period i'd finally qualified for the olympic games and then Six weeks before the Olympic Games, my mum suffered a brain aneurysm from nowhere and looked like she was going to die. And um, 
and it's she to I'll just ruin the story straight away by saying she didn't die, but it was um it was miraculous. I've been with her in numerous appointments and the doctors have said to me and my mum, you know it's a miracle you're alive. The bleed you had on the back of your brain should have killed you instantly and she survived. At the time, it looked like she was gonna die. She was not in a, she was in a coma throughout the whole Olympics, she would have operations on her brain throughout the whole Olympics to save her life. Um I didn't do a thing for four weeks, didn't throw a punch, didn't do a press-up. I went um, my first, I had one week of training. We trained up in the Great Britain, the Great Britain team trained up in Sheffield, trains up in Sheffield. I had one week of training up in Sheffield with a team. My first day back training after after not training for four weeks, I sparred, I threw a sloppy jab, the, th- the first punch I'd thrown in four weeks. The bloke I sparred slipped out and threw a right hook to my body and he broke my rib. So I'm sitting there on the edge of that ring apron after that sparse. I had a broken rib. I had damaged a had torn Achilles tendons, which were like partially torn both sides, which would take which would take four operations later on to, to fix. My shoulder was still buggered from the operation because I had to rehab it so quick it wasn't fully functioning. My rib was broken and I thought my mum was gonna die. I thought and, and the Olympics were in ten days. And I thought, this isn't how it was meant to be. Like, this isn't how I thought it was going to go when I was a kid dreaming about the Olympic Games. And then I had a really tough draw. Um, I fought the world champion who hadn't been beaten in two years' time, in, in two years. I beat him. Um, had a real, real tough tough draw. And eventually won a bronze medal, which I was gutted about because the three guys I beat, the three guys I beat in the Olympics, including the world champ who hadn't lost in two years, had all beaten the guy that beat me in the semi final that Olympic year. So in the previous eight months, they'd all beaten him and I'd lost to him. But I'd lost to him because I was just knackered. I, I mean, I was a fuck. I had nothing left. No energy left. No strength left. I'd missed so much training. I was worried my mum was going to die every second of the day because she was still in the coma and it was still t- t- touch and go if she was going to live or not. It was just the worst time in my life. So I couldn't, so for me personally, I couldn't, it's weird because I said, like, there's one thing I'd ever kind of like worked my entire life for. And then when it happened, I didn't want it to happen. I wanted to, like, current climate, I wanted to postpone it for a year. You know, but obviously the Olympics weren't going to move for me and what was going on in my life at the time. So, so when I finished it, so I'll answer a bit of background. So I'll answer your question. Like, I got a bronze medal, and, I, and I, I deserved more. I was more than good enough to get the gold medal. I'd be the best person there. And and the fact I did it was really hard. It was hard to accept because I know I, I didn't achieve a lifelong ambition, which was, which was devastating. Um, so what I did, I... I, I couldn't I didn't want to wait around for four more years and do all again because I again at this time I didn't know if my mum was gonna survive or not and I, what I'd done, I'd encapsulated all my mum's my mum's illness with the Olympic Games. And I didn't want to go for four more years to go through that cycle again and, and bring back all those bad memories, whether she was gonna live or not. So I thought I'm gonna turn pro. I'm gonna turn pro, I'm gonna leave this leave this chapter in the past, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn pro and I'm gonna this time I'm definitely gonna to get to the top. I'm definitely gonna become the undisputed middleweight champion of the world. And that was the plan. So so what I did, as you mentioned earlier, I, I kind of changed my focus. I, my, my goalposts moved when I when I had achieved something which which was obviously as an amazing feat winning the medal at the Olympic Games. Even more so when you when you know stuff has kind of gone through along the way, but yeah, I I moved the goalposts because I wasn't I wasn't fully satisfied with the bronze medal and I thought 
to I'm now I now need to go and win loads of belts as a professional boxer. And yeah, then I I, I changed my my focus from the Olympics to to the pro ranks and the world title. Would you say that even though you didn't achieve that one goal you were chasing, that setting audacious goals is still extremely important? I mean, there's that saying that you shoot for the moon and you'll land somewhere amongst the stars, right? So would you say that goal setting is still important even if they are audacious goals you never achieve? 100%. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, because... Because what's the point in living if you haven't got something to chase? You know, what's the point in living if you're not if you're not working towards something? Like waking up every single day and every single day is the same. The groundhog day, that to me is hell. That was I'd, I'd hate that. Having nothing to pursue, I would hate that. And I think and and I'll, I learned someone told me this recently, very recently. Someone said to me, literally like two weeks ago, someone said to me people are happiest chasing a goal people are more happy chasing a goal than they are when they attain it yeah. and I was like mm, that's really powerful it's, 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 the, it's the waking up and going after something and when you get it I've, I've got mates I've got and I never won a world title as a pro because my pro career was cut short through injury and there was there was a bigger nightmare than, than my amateur career and my pro career um, I've got friends that we're in the same boat, similar boats to me. We, we trained together on the England team. It's 14-year-olds, GB team, is 18-year-olds, and we all kind of went off in our separate ways. I've got friends that were extremely successful, earned millions of pounds, became world champ, and they're still not that happy, and there's still something missing. And and when I was trying to get back in the ring um, after suffering a bad eye injury, I, was, I, had, I had all of these operations on my eye to get back in the ring. One of my friends said to me, who'd, who'd done it, who'd achieved his dream, won the world title, earned millions of pounds. He went to me, mate, he went, don't do it. It's not worth it. Trust me, I've been there. I've done it. I've achieved it. It's not worth it. I was like, wow. You know, so it was the journey. It was the journey that was better than the destination. So, yeah, in, in answer to your question, I 100% think it's better. It's good to keep, to, to set goals. And they haven't got to be that outlandish. Like, <clears throat> I set Olympic gold and, and, and world title as a pro because that's what my talents, that's what my talents, I, I was, I was talented enough to do that. And if I had a, been dealt a better card, a better hand of cards, I would have, um, I possibly could have done that. So no point in saying, you know, go and set these goals and that they're, they're just totally unachievable. But you want to, you want to set goals that, that push you and that take you out of your comfort zone and yeah, then just the the important thing is something that I didn't realise during my boxing career. The important thing is to have fun along the way whilst you're trying to attain them. And if you're not having fun, then there's there's no point. There's no point doing it. But um, that I think that's the secret. Have a big goal, work towards it, but try to enjoy the journey as much of a destination. So you turn pro. You're leaving behind years and years of your life, an extensive amateur uh, record a good record, the Olympics, you're now turning pro, your record is set to zero again, zero wins, you're the, the small fish in the big pond, the new kid on the block, what did it feel like shifting that goalpost and being a student again? I loved it, it was nice, it was nice to start something new, it was nice, it was, it was, nice. It was good, it was, uh... I like people kind of lighting me up, I like people, I like being an underdog, who doesn't, you know, I like, I like being the underdog in 
trying to upset the apple car. I think the pressure's off when you're the underdog. No one expects anything from you. Um, it's harder when people expect you to win because you can have a really, really tough fight. And people go, well, oh, but he was going to win anyway. Or he was going to be successful anyway. You don't get as much of the credit. It's nice being the underdog. So I liked it. Turn and pro, it was, it, it was enjoyable. It was difficult because I'd gone from an Olympic setup where it was so professional. Um, even though amateur box, even though it was amateur boxing, the GB setup is so professional. Like everything is done for you. Everything. Like it's just everything's done for you. Your only job is to turn up, train, train hard, and win medals, which I loved. Like everything is catered towards you being successful. Then you turn professional. I, in in the UK anyway, I always say like professional boxing is the least professional sport out there. It's, it's, it's not professional whatsoever. And people watch it on fight night and all the glitz and the glamour and, and TV cameras, and it looks great. That is the only glitzy thing about pro boxing. Everything else is so unprofessional. And that 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 and, and if you turn pro and you turn pro for millions of pounds and you've got a massive organisation behind you backing you, then it's easy because they put things in place for you. When you don't have that kind of support... It's difficult because you've got to do it yourself. You've got to take it like I remember when I turned pro, I had to, I didn't have the money to, I couldn't. My coach who started training me when I was a pro, he also trained a host of other professional fighters, plus the Great Britain team. He was getting paid good money from the Great Britain team and good money from his other pro fighters. I wasn't on good money, so I was the last of his priorities, unfortunately. And then it's a shame it worked out like that, but I was like, he was getting 10% of not a lot from me. He was getting 10% from a lot more from other people. So obviously, financially, he's got to support his family and stuff. Like he, it's not particularly fair, but he prioritised his money, where, where, where the money came from. And it's a shame because I, and also my physio, I had to kind of get a physio early on in my career. And I had a few injuries, as I mentioned, on the Great Britain team. And they kind of like chewed me up and spat me out. And I, did, I, I turned pro with a few injuries, which... They really should have fixed before I turned pro, but they they, they wouldn't because I knew they, they knew I wasn't going to fight for them anymore, so I didn't really bother. Um, and I had to go and find a physio to, to basically treat like give me treatment once or twice a week for very little or no money, which was hard because you know. So it was difficult turning pro. Uh, they had a lot of difficulties, but um, it was it was it was good. It, it was fun. It was exciting. It was it, it was nice starting. I'm the kind of person that likes starting new things and like I was one of if not the best amateur boxer in the world in 2012 and I was then starting a whole new thing as a professional fighter and I had to prove myself again and I like having to have to prove yourself again you know it's, it's, it's a nice environment to be in yeah and you, and you mentioned you know your career <clears throat> has this has this roadblocks uh in it and um one of those that springs to mind is you know you you were in you were making making way in your professional career and you were stopped with that Achilles. was there an Achilles Achilles injury that yeah, so I, yeah so I had an Achilles injury from 2010 and and it got misdiagnosed whilst I was on the Great Britain team and and they didn't really give me the night in, in, I mean in hindsight in hindsight they didn't give me the right treatment and and then you know then I had my shoulder which was much bigger because my Achilles was, was, was bad but I was able to kind of get through it then I had a shoulder problem and I was out and really I should have got the kiddies done then but they wanted to get me back for the Olympics because I was I was a medal medal hopeful and 
It was all about the shoulder. Then I, on a term trial, I had these bad Achilles where they were just in a really bad way. I mean, I should have said I should have got fixed before, but I ended up having... Ended up, I didn't want the surgery on him because the surgery would have kept me out for a year, year, 18 months. Um, so I tried these like injections and different stuff and I was out for two months at a time, three months at a time to see if like a, a non-surgical approach would work. And unfortunately, after six months out, it, it, it didn't, I've, I've tried different stuff, it didn't work. I then got a surgery done. Um, that went wrong uh, on both on, on both sides, on both Achilles as well. It went wrong. The the initial surgery went wrong, and not only did he not fix it, the bloke put an infection in both of my Achilles. So I then went back into both Achilles and had to have a whole Achilles stripping. So basically, the the way he explained it to me was, let's say you've basically your, your Achilles were a piece of wood, and your Achilles have got really splintered and, and horrible and gnarly and nasty. We're going to go in there and just shave them all down to the begin, all down to the bottom again because. The previous operation, I'd kind of I'd rehabbed all this soft tissue and all this muscle, but I was infected. So all that infected tissue had to get kind of cut away and washed away. So yeah, so the first I was out for a few months. Then the first surgery was out for six months. Then I had another surgery, and they said they said I'd been out for another twelve months. But I rehabbed it real quick, and I got back in six months. So all all together, I was out for twelve months, from fight to fight, out for twelve months. My first fight back, I fought over in Germany. I fought a little Ukrainian. Round two, I punched him so hard in the right hand, it skimmed off his head, and then I dislocated my shoulder again, the same shoulder I dislocated um, just before the Olympic Games. So I'm now fighting this fight again, another fight, my third fight in my career, I'm fighting with one arm, and I boxed him and I beat him. Um, then I had the surgery done to my right shoulder to fix it, and it was a second surgery on that shoulder, so it was already messed up, and then... During the surgery, the, the surgeon accidentally nicked one of the nerves, so my arm withered away to the size of a six-year-old's arm, like generally a tiny to six. And then it took me, it took me ten months. Re- I should have been. I was still rehabbing. It took me. I fought again ten and a half months later. Really, I should have been about 13, 14 months because my right arm is still really skinny. And if you watch my fights from two, early 2016, my right arm is half the size of my left arm, but. I had the money, and as a professional boxer, you only get paid when you fight. And I'd had 12 months off for my Achilles before, and then another 10 months off for my shoulder. I couldn't afford to not fight anymore, so I had three fights, and my arm is really skinny, um, which is really, which is really frustrating. But um, yeah, and then I got back in, I got back in the ring um, after those 10 months. Had three fights, won them all, and then I fought for the WBC international middleweight title. Yeah, then I uh, had three fights, knocked them all out, and then I was fourth for WBC International Middleweight title, which would have given me a top 10 ranking with WBC, which would have meant that I could have fought Sal Canelo Alvarez for the world title uh, in my next fight, or the fight after that, and we were both promoted by the same, both promoted by Golden Boy, so it was an easy fight to make, and my manager was already talking to Golden Boy about making the fight, so um, big fight for me. And then I fractured my eye socket in the build-up to that fight. That got misdiagnosed. I was told to carry on boxing because it wouldn't get any worse. I carried on boxing. It was the worst advice from the from the best hospital in the world for eyes, apparently. And then I boxed. Um, before the fight, I had one fracture in my eye socket. After the fight, I had eight fractures in my eye socket. My eye socket imploded and my eye was damaged because I was getting whacked in the eye. Um, 
on down that the eye socket protects the eyeball more the muscles around it if the eye socket shattered then, then your eyes get whacked for, for, for eight rounds and it's getting damaged and irreparable damage and then yeah I had, I had nine I had nine surgeries over three years on my eyes to try to get me back in the boxing ring and it wasn't to be unfortunately so um yeah I had to retire this time last year which was devastating but uh yeah man that's <laughs> Yeah, That's kind of my career in a, in a nutshell, my pro career yeah. anyway. The injury is something I, I definitely want to get to. But I mean, when you were an active fighter and you, you had those long injury layoffs, what was it like sitting on the sidelines, watching you know the other guys in your division achieving things and, and you just you couldn't do anything? You had to just sit there and watch. That must take you to some pretty dark places mentally. How do you deal with that? Yeah, hardest thing in the world. Hardest thing in the world I've ever experienced. Um, yeah, I mean, fighting, leaving my family at the Olympic Games when they were all with my mum in the hospital was the hardest thing I'd done. But that was, I was away for a month, three and a half weeks. And even then, I, I snuck out of the Olympic Games twice to go up to Cambridge to see my mum in hospital. I did that twice. Um, but... Yeah, sitting on the sidelines and watching your peers. Some people you like, some you don't like, some people you've beaten before, people that you know you're better than. When the eye thing, when I was out for three years, always hoping I was going to fight again, but, you know, always hoping I would, always believing I would, but still knowing I was, you know, still knowing that, you know, realistically, I, there's a large chance I may, I may not sitting on the sidelines watching people become world champion and live out my dream and earn millions of pounds when I knew I was better than them. They couldn't lace my gloves. Like that, that was, that was, that was hard, really hard. And watching people that, yeah, that I know I'm better than deep down. They know I'm better than them. Win, win world titles and, and become millionaires. And I'm at home. My left eyes, I'm half blind in my left eye. My eyes don't work together. Um, my eyes look unsightly because my left eye is totally droopy because of a missed, of a, a of a wrong operation and a missed misdiagnosis. Um, I think how's how's again going back to what I said earlier. I used to think how is this how is this fair? Like this wasn't part of the plan. This was never part of the plan. And why am I not world champ? Why am I not? Why am I not living out my dream right now? Why am I? driving a car which is 25 years old <clears throat> which every time I turn it on every time I start it up I pray that it starts up because I'm skinned and I got and then I can't afford anything better and I don't know when I'm going to pay it again and I've spent loads of money on operations in America already so how how is this the case and all these people that I'm like I look up used to look up to me on the Great Britain team and ask me for advice they're now multi-millionaires flying around in private jets. What? Or flying first class. How's that happening? But, um, yeah, mate. So, real real tough, man. Really tough. Like, was, that was the hardest part. The hardest part of being an athlete. And I had it I had it worse than most. But the hardest part of being an athlete is is, is the injuries and sitting there and, 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 and watching the world go by and you're not involved. Um, that's the toughest bit. How important is the art of resilience in situations like that. I mean, 
you know, a lot of people could just say, yeah, fuck it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and watch this, um, you know, what's the point in coming back anyway, I'm going to be playing catch-up the whole time, I'm done. How important is it to say, you know, I'll watch it, but I'm coming back, and not only am I going to come back, I'm going to come back stronger. Yeah, imperative, imperative, and it's a must, if you want to be successful, you have, you have to, there's no... There's no point in sulking. I sulked. I mean, I sulked. I would whinge about it. And if any, if you were in earshot, you heard my poor wife. My poor wife is him. He's heard me whinge over and over and over again and curse this person and curse that person over again. So I fell, I fell foul to it as well. But I think it doesn't get you anywhere. I learned eventually. Not eventually. I learned. I learned pretty quickly. But I, I did feel like a whinge. I'm not gonna lie. But I learned that. Um, <clears throat> I learned that doesn't get you anywhere, sulking and whinging and, and asking asking the heavens why this person's got all this stuff and I haven't, ain't going to make me get it. <laughs> like it's, it's all it's going to do is wind, wind you, me up, piss you off. And and eventually, if you want to get there, you got to do the work anyway. So why don't you save all that time and effort and energy on whinging and just do it? That's, yeah. So it's being, yeah, being mentally strong, being resilient, is um is 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 imperative in, in times like that, and also what it does it refocuses you, <clears throat> it refocuses you, and it reminds you it, it reminds you you know do you want it like how bad do you want it like do you do you do you want it when things are going well because when things are going well anybody wants it it's easy it's not hard because when things go tough that's when you think that's when you realise, oh, yeah, I do want it. I really, really do want it, you know. Or you, you might not want it. You might realise, you might think, actually, this isn't for me. Like, I like the idea of being a world champ or I like the idea of selling a, a million records or books or whatever. I like the idea of having a having a company, but the reality of it, have to deal with all this shit along the way. Nah, it's not for me, really. I'm going to do something else. So it's you know good. I think it cuts the uh, you know it cuts the wig from the strong. I think, um, yeah. I imagine that was something that was quite important uh, to you because up until this point in your career, all you'd ever really known was winning for the most part. And so, when you did suffer that first loss, how did you process it? How did you take it? I mean, it it must be pretty hard to after only knowing winning to to suffer a loss, you know. How do you deal with loss? Not just in sport, but in everyday life. I mean, you know, failure is an important part of, of success. I mean, I, my, my loss in professional boxing, I don't, I don't, I don't class it as a loss. And that's not me being bitter um, at all. Um, you know, I, you know, at all. You know, I've, I'd, I'd lost, I lost fights as an amateur boxer. I lost my seventh fight as an amateur. I lost. Probably about in about 300 fights, probably lost about 20 times, 25 times maybe. Um, so I'd lost before, but I didn't. I I, I never classed that as a loss. I never, you know, some fighters and they're on a on, on a winning spree when they lose, um, it hits them, hits them hard. And got, we, I never had that feeling because I knew my eye was bad. I knew I had a real bad eye, and I wanted to fight again. Sorry, I wanted to fight again, and um, Literally, when I out like that, and I'd already been to the hospital about my eye anyway because I was I was told to fight by the consultant I saw. So when I left after the fight that night, we went to a hotel and I emailed. Um, I emailed and then called 
at like 10 past 12 on a Saturday night, the eye surgeon that gave me the advice. I wanted to kind of get in and see him straight away. So the second I left that ring, oh, of course, of course, I was devastated. I was devastated because that guy wouldn't, he didn't know, he he would not have lasted five rounds of me. He had, had my eyes been, been okay. I mean, I, and that other frustrating thing was, I was actually, when, 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 when my corner found out something was going on in the fight, because I was boxing really badly because I couldn't see from my left eye, I had really bad double vision. And one of my left eyes was twisted in 30 degrees. So I was seeing two people. One was down on the floor. One was up high. And the up high one was lying on the side. It was the weirdest, most horriblest, horriblest thing. I would not wish on my worst enemy. Um, and, yeah, and uh, he... So I was just saying, yeah, and I and I was still winning the fight. I was winning the fight on the scorecards. When my corner got win, like in round eight, they realised my was bad, and then they threw the towel in. I was still winning the fight, which was really frustrating because if I'd have got through two more rounds, I'd have won the fight. Not would have made the eye any different, but I'd have won the fight. and wouldn't have suffered a loss in quotation marks. But um, yeah, I mean, the loss to me was a setback. It wasn't. I don't see. I'm really. This is a really bad way of explaining it. I know I'm not making myself very clear at all. Um, I've suffered losses in the past, and every single time when I've suffered a loss, I've kind of got myself back up. I've looked at. I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, when I've suffered a loss in the past, I've looked at what I've lost. I've yeah. taken full responsibility because this is one of the reasons why um, I mentioned at the top of this phone call that boxing ticked all the white boxes for me because in football. I remember one game specifically for my county. I was captain of my county. We were 3-0 up. And about three minutes left. And the other team scored. And we won 3-1. And when they scored, I was gutted. I was angry. I was shouting at the uh, whoever, the, the, the keeper for whatever. And the, the keeper and the centre-back weren't in communication with each other. A lad nipped in and scored the goal. And that's 3-1. I, had a, I gave, I was about 13. I gave a bollock in to the, to the goalkeeper, to the centre-back. And and then the, the manager said to me, and then he calmed down, we're still winning. And I looked at the manager, and I was at that moment, I thought, what the heck? Like, I want to win more than my own manager. How does that? <laughs> how, how does that? How does that? That doesn't add up. And point making is, what I love about boxing is, if you win, lose, or draw, it's all down to you. Like, sure, it's subjective and stuff, and sure, you need coaches and stuff, but it's down to you. Only you're in control of how hard you train. You're in control of how much you want to learn in a particular session, how much you want to drill, what you've learned to cement into your in, into your repertoire. So, and I love that about boxing. I loved it. So what I like, when you do lose in boxing, and uh, when I lost the boxing, I'd always look at the fight and watch it over and over. Or if I couldn't watch the fight, because before you reach the kind of like film fights, I'd, 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 I'd shut my eyes and think about the punch I took and how much it hurt or where I got hit and why I got hit. And I'd work on it and I'd train and train and train. And and um, quick mini story, a little segue. Like my first fight on the Great Britain team in 2010, June, there was two years to go to the Olympic Games. I fought a Dutch guy. I just won the ABA Championship. So I had five fights. I got hit once in five fights. Then my first fight at the European Championships, I boxed a Dutch guy. I beat him 7 0, so I didn't get hit. In my next fight, I fought Down O'Neill from Ireland. I lost 11 1. I'd just gone six fights and got hit once in six fights. And this guy just sprang to me 11 1. 
And I thought, what the heck? That that what? Where, where did that come from? And I had two years to go to the Olympics. And Dan O'Neill was good, but he wasn't great. Like he was, he was never going to do anything like uh, no in the Olympics. He was never, he wasn't that good. And I sat, and then I sat and watched every, um, I watched every fight of the European Championships to punish myself because. I could not believe I lost, and I, I couldn't believe I lost, but I didn't. I couldn't believe I lost in the way that I'd lost, and I sat and I had a little notebook and I wrote down everything, um, everyone who won, why they won, like what style they were, how many punches they threw. Um, I just wrote down everything, and then I knew if I was going to be successful in boxing, I had to do, I had to change my game or do something. And then in four, four months later, I went to the Commonwealth Games. And so basically, I'd lost to a guy who was good, but wasn't great. And I, I well lost as well. Um, in a, I was in Russia in a neutral arena. And then four months later, after really, really hard training and changing my total style of boxing, I went to India and I fought Vijendra Singh, the Indian, the world number one, the best boxer in the world at the time in my weight category. And I beat him in his own country, in front of his own fans and his own judges. And that just proves that in four months' time, you, if you really want something, you can make it happen. And that's how I deal with loss, really. I, 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 I figure out why I lost and, 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 and I try to change it. And that's why I never felt like I'd lost it in, in, in my pro, pro career because I didn't really lose to somebody. I, I, I lost because I was blind and a referee... Um, through the set, and then my, my my corner through the towel in, and that was the frustrating thing because there's nothing I could have learned. I was in the best shape of my life going into that fight physically, from my not from my nose down. I was in the best shape of my life. I was in I was, I was extremely fit, and I lost, and I, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do anything about my eye getting fractured and getting then getting refractured and, and fractured over and over again. So that was the most frustrating thing. So I couldn't really take much away from that, other than. Just keep doing what you're doing in, in many aspects, really. So I guess the one of the main lessons I'm taking from this is loss or, or failure. You can use it as, you know, you, you can use it as an opportunity to learn rather than just a negative thing. Then you could turn that negative into a, into a greater positive. Yeah, for sure. People don't. And you can like you can you, you can learn from wins. You can because I've done it. Like it just it just hits home more. Like when you like I've I've, I've watched I've watched um, videotape of my fights and I've won and and I've I've watched the videotape back and I've gone oh yeah maybe I could have doubled a jab more here or maybe I could have like thrown hook there or or maybe maybe my defense is a bit leaky in in this situation and maybe I should be a bit tighter. But you won so doesn't carry as much weight but if you had that same fight and you lose that fight then yeah you're definitely going to tighten your defense up you're definitely going to throw more double jabs it just hits home much harder when you lose um so yeah i mean it's, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to kind of take stock and to have a look at yourself and go well, i lost because of that i lost because of that cool let's do this next time let's do that i'm not going to lose again so um yeah perfect opportunity to to take stock really we touched on the injury slightly, but I just want to talk about it because I remember seeing you on social media at the time and you were really emotional. I could tell just how heartbroken you were. And I guess that's because as a fighter, retirement is a decision you want to be able to make yourself, not you know an injury making that decision for you. And I wonder if you struggled with your identity at all after that happened because you weren't a boxer anymore and... Up until that point, 
that's all you've ever been. Did you struggle with, you know, finding a sense of purpose and, and who you were? Yeah, 100%, mate. Mate, you're asking some really good questions. and you're, you're, you're asking them in a really nice way as well, mate. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, 100% I did. And I did my wife, right, who's floating around in the kitchen. So I better be really nice about her. She's, um, she used to say to me, she, you're more than just a boxer. Like, you're more than just a boxer. You're going to be okay. When I was struggling in my in my three-year absence from the ring, trying to get back, you're, more, you're going to be okay. You're, you're, you're more than just a boxer. You can do anything you want to do. And I was like, yeah, but I want to box. I just want to box because I still had ever done. Like, and I was quite lucky. I mentioned earlier, I'm so bad at so many things. I really am. Um, but I was always very lucky. I was always very lucky. I was good at sport, and the one sport I wanted to do was boxing, and that was, and that's what I'd given my life to. And I wanted to get something from it. I wanted to get something that I wanted from it because the Olympic bronze medal is an amazing achievement. And I do know that, but I wanted the gold medal, so I didn't get. So I look, so I used to look at my bronze medal, and still now to a degree, sometimes, in like, in kind of sneer my nose up a little bit, thinking, ah, should have been the gold. Um, and then I thought, when I said, as I said earlier, I thought the pro career, this is where I will achieve it. Like, I will achieve my my Mount Olympus moment where I get exactly what I want to get. And then, and then now this has been taken away from me from by something I've got no control in. It's not fair. And and I had, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd wrapped up my own identity in being a boxer. Like I'd go to the supermarket and people, all blokes would say to me, oh, when you're out next, when you're boxing next. And I like that, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And it became really community, like community thing. And, and yeah, it's made as whole, as whole as weird, as, as weird. And how do I achieve my Olympic gold medal? And I could look back and went, well, do you know what? Like anything on top of this would have been a bonus anyway. So I'm glad I've got that. But I didn't get that, so I left. I left thinking I put 18 years into this, 18 years into my career, and I'll spend an all. I spent a hundred thousand pounds on operations alone in America. Four surgeries, each one was a lot of money, hundred grand total, just surgeries. That's not flights. That's not this. And that's and I'm like, <clears throat> people think about Tyson Fury or <clears throat> Anthony Joshua's like purse. I was never on that. I never got anywhere near that 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 kind of money. I actually spent more money on operations and stuff than I ever earned in the boxing ring. So I, I, I put everything back into my career and I left my career. I thought, I've got less money now than when I started seven years ago. How does that work, you know? But but I'm very proud that I kind of, I, I saw it through to the end, you know? I saw it through to the very end. How did I jack it in after one operation or maybe two operations? I always sort of thought in the back of my head, uh, what if I'd have carried on? Like what, if I'd have, what if I'd have rolled the dice one more time? Maybe I could have been there, or maybe I could have you know, got back in the ring and become world champ. But I gave everything I had. I gave everything I had, and nothing else could have been done. And at least when I walked away, as, as heartbreaking as it was, I walked away knowing that I gave it my all. And I think that's the main thing. When you, when you do, if you, if, if you, um, if you do have to um, stop something you care about and you love. If you can stop it, knowing that you gave everything, you never shirked the tackle, you never s- swerved the training session, then and only then can you walk away going, yeah, it wasn't meant to be because I gave it my all. And I really did. So that was the only thing I kind of, and I'm quite a positive person. I want to look for the positives in every, every aspect. And that's what I took from my boxing career. I gave it my all. And the fact I gave it my all, like unbeknownst to me at the time, opened up other things to me. Those videos you mentioned a minute ago, like 
Oh, that was my that was my seventh surgery on my eye. Um, I was in Boston. I've been away for the best part of a month on my own. I had my one one final hurrah. Like I had two smaller surgeries afterwards in the hope I'd get back boxing. But after this one, this is the one where I knew it wasn't it wasn't to be. After this one, um, so I rolled the dice and and I was at. And I broke some both my eyes and went back to get to the hospital five days later. And he had to, when you're horrible, the most horrible thing ever, when you're awake, they basically operate on your eyes when you're awake. They're the main operation when you're asleep, then they wake you up, and then they operate on you when you're awake. It's the most horrible thing. And everywhere else in the world, they do it to you immediately when you're still half like drowsy and you're both like you're still not really with it. You're under sedation still, so you can't really feel it. This bloke does it five days later when you're fully coherent. You have no, you know exactly what's going on. You can they, they, they numb your eyes with anaesthetic. But you can still feel it, man. It's horrible. And he's messing around with my eyes whilst I'm awake. And the pain. And the pain was... It wasn't just the pain. It was just... It was, I just felt sick. And then, I, I, then he, he sent me home. I went back to the waiting room in Boston. There's Boston Children's Hospital. And I sat in the waiting room. I thought, I'll sit here for 10 minutes. Because I just felt ill. I felt really, really not right. And I thought, I'll get taxi in a minute. Ended up there for three and a half hours. I could not... I just couldn't move. I was like... I was just paralyzed with just just dread and fear and worry and pain and just I felt I felt a whole nauseating feeling, and then I started doing these videos and not I, I mean I didn't even I didn't even think much about them but yeah they got picked up quite a lot and people started sharing them and saying nice things to me and stuff, and it took that thank you Casey it took that for people to realize like like it's, it's weird like. People only kind of really got it or got me after those videos because prior to that, I think people, because I'd done some TV stuff and when I was injured with a shoulder, I did Strictly Come Dancing um, and I've done other stuff as well because as I said earlier, I had no money and if, if you don't fight as a pro, you don't get paid. Um, and like people seem to do a job TV thing and they th- I think they thought I wanted to be a celebrity more than a boxer, which could not be further from the truth. And it took me going through nine operations and doing these emotive videos after this one particular operation, people will see it and go, oh, he's actually he's actually he's actually a fighter in the truest sense of the word. He's a warrior, he, he he wants this more than anything. And that, madly enough, endeared me to the British boxing public or public in general, more than any of my fights did, or the Olympics did. It's really weird. Um so yeah, I mean I'm, I'm talking for so long I forgot a question you asked me, but uh yeah. Yeah. Uh, perfectly, man. Um, yeah no. Yeah, you mentioned there that um, you did you did a few like TV shows and stuff, and and because you weren't getting paid at the time. But I wonder how like obviously they they were really diverse. I remember obviously seeing you on Strictly Come Dance, and you were on. I remember seeing you pop up on Bear Grylls the Island as well one day. Yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, what's he, you know, what's he doing this? But um, is 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 that something you like to do? Like, because you well, seem to put yourself in like a lot of like uncomfortable environments. <laughs> Yeah, well, a couple. Yeah, yeah. Let me answer that in a couple of different ways. So, like you said, you know, I got a lot of that. What's he doing this for? I did a TV show, and all my TV shows I've done, all but one, have been good TV shows. Like the like the their channel's best TV show, for example. Oh, yeah. BBC One, Strictly Come Dancing, they get 15 million viewers, 20 million viewers on the final. Yeah. So like, I'm like you, you to get asked to get asked to do that is um 
is an honour. And I didn't. And they asked me to do it three times before. Every single time I said, no, I'm boxing. No, I'm boxing. No, I'm boxing. And then they saw the week, the month before they went on live, live TV, they saw an interview on BBC Sport, me injured from the shoulder, and I couldn't fight for however long. And they offered me a lot of money to do it. They said, look, you're not injured. Now, so they said to me, you wanted to, you didn't want to do this because you wanted to box. Now you can't box for a long time as per this interview. Now do you want to do it? And I was like, I've got, I've got nothing stopping me. My shoulder's buggered anyway. I might as well get paid. And also, I might as well use this time out to raise my profile in a wider wider media because you never know what happened to boxing. I actually ended up not retiring a few years later. So it was a good thing for me to do to you know people Yeah, yeah. So basically you know, the, I, I did Splash on ITV1, the Olympic Games, got paid well for that. And again, that was Saturday night, primetime TV. Why would you not want to do that to kind of like showcase yourself to the wider um, wider, wider audience demographics? And also, uh, Bell Goonels, that's like that's like Channel 4's biggest yeah. uh, celebrity show. Um, and it's actually really cool. And that's, like, yeah. that's, an, that's a really cool experience. I've done one thing which I I, I don't regret doing. So I needed a, I needed the money for an operation. I spent I told I spent a hundred thousand pounds on surgeries on my eyes in those three years. I had no money. I didn't earn that in my boxing career. I earned less than that for my for my boxing in ring career. I didn't even earn that. Um, I had to sell my car to pay for surgeries and stuff. I did this one TV show for it. I got about ten grand for it as rubbish as like a ghost hunter thing, and that's embarrassing on Channel W, <laughs> and it was embarrassing. And I did not, I didn't want to do it, and I did it because I had no money. And yeah. and what else was I going to do? I, I'm not going to go and rob a bank. Cause I'm a, just I'm a law-abiding citizen. So I done a TV show, and I got a tweet after the first. After like three, I think it was two or three episodes, and after the first episode, I got a tweet saying, oh, a go-go must be skin. What's he doing this for? <laughs> and my, and my, my response was, yeah, mate, I am. I don't. I mean, I didn't know why. As I said, if you're a pro boxer and you're not boxing, you are not getting paid. And when on top of that, when you have all these surgeries in different places, it costs a lot of money. So, yeah, you know, regarding the Bear Girls thing, right, um, that, that was one of the best things I've ever done. In my entire life, and I ever will do. I got there's some proper cool dudes, some proper cool dudes, right? I got the opportunity to go to Panama and live on an island like, like, an, uh, a survivor for a month, and have to kind of hunt and kill and eat your own food, eat your own food. That was so cool. Like, like you're never gonna get the time to do that again ever. Like it was, it was just so cool. It was really, really cool. It was tough. I lost, I lost 44 pounds. I lost over three stone. I contracted E. coli for eating a, a dead fish. Um, it was horrible. It was tough. It was really challenging, but it was great fun. So that's something that I'm, I'm privileged to do because most people go to work Monday to Friday and whatever. You know, I get to do that for work, and that's the furthest. That's the furthest thing from work, you know. So, um, people don't want to criticise me for that, and, and fair enough. But also, again, the whole plan was to earn money um, and keep my profile up whilst I was out of the ring for my eye injury um, before I got back in the ring. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get back in the ring. I get as many people come up to me and say, oh, man, I love John Bear Grylls. Then I do say, I get more people say that to me. Yeah. Then I do saying, oh, you knocked out Kieran Gray in your debut. That was a great, that was a great right hand or whatever because that's more mainstream and I enjoyed it. And it's nice, you know. So 
I do like doing something there. I do like testing myself and like strictly come dancing, right? I mean, if if you if you knew me, I'm the all the, all that showbiz and glitz and glamour and stuff. That's it's not really a bit of me. I'd I'd rather been in the ring punching somebody's head in on a Saturday night, but unfortunately I was injured, so I couldn't. But like dancing, I can't I can't dance at all. But dancing in live in front of ten million people on a Saturday night, well out of your comfort zone on BBC One, yeah. mate, that's cool. Like, that is really cool. That's um, it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing. And I mentioned to you earlier in one of the answers, I said to you that like, I like being the underdog and I like learning, like starting again and learning new stuff. For for six weeks, I was a professional dancer, training eight on eight hours a day. That was brilliant. I mean, I mean, I was, I mean, I wasn't very good at it, but I learned a new skill. For I mean, I've gone all now. I can't dance now, but I learned. I couldn't dance then. That's why I left after week three. But I um I learned a little bit and I, I challenged myself and I danced on BBC One on 10 million people so it was it was a laugh you know it was good fun and I I don't regret it because it was cool it was it was a nice thing to do and and how many people at the age of 31 can say they've done half the stuff I've done in my life you know not not many so I do feel very privileged and although I've had a few you know downs along the way I have lived a very very fortunate life. I mean, I'm glad you did. I think the Bear Grylls show painted you in a fantastic light um, for your public profile. And, and even shows like Strictly, I think it did it a lot for your profile. I mean, I was talking to my girlfriend the other night about the fact that, you know, I had this podcast and I wasn't going to tell her who it was because she knows nothing about boxing. But she knew who you were because you were Oti's partner on Strictly. So, um, yeah, her first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, man. So, you know, before we start, and also, show, mate, on, oh, on, carry on, yeah. sorry, on, on that one as well, the reason why I like doing that stuff because, like, boxers, we don't get like in boxing, you do get some dickheads, like, anywhere, there's some dickheads in boxing, dickheads in football, dickheads in, in politics, whatever. But you get some nice people, unfortunately, in boxing, it's the dickheads that get a lot of, a lot of the attention, a lot of media spotlight. So, because of that, because people a bit stupid and they, they believe what they read or believe what they see all the time and, and why wouldn't they boxers oftentimes don't get the best like reputation best rap in certain stuff I like doing when I was a boxer I like doing certain things as a boxer so I used to think that I was representing boxing as well I want to come across as a nice guy because there are plenty of nice guys in boxing and I felt a duty to to portraying myself and the sport of boxing in the best way possible so another reason why i like doing that stuff so people would always and then you get those idiot boxing fans would, would criticize me during doing this stuff but i can count this because i'm out here having a good time earning a few quid um and making making lifelong memories and making friends doing something which is better than what you're doing whatever you're doing you know so yeah i don't regret any of my tv stuff so I, I do actually I really enjoy it. As we wind down now, I just want to mention, you know, you, you signed for AEW, uh, the professional wrestling organization. I don't think people realize how big a deal that is. I mean, behind WWE, they're the biggest wrestling promotion that is. Uh, they got guys like, you know, Chris Jericho, Cody Rhodes, all these massive stars. And now you've signed. How does it feel to be the beginner? How does it feel to be amongst all these guys and be the one with something to prove you are the student again? It um, oh, it feels it's 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 hard. It's hard, man. It's it's tough. But again, that's that's what I like about it. 
I like the challenge of starting again, of being the novice and, and learning again. It's so, <clears throat> when you get good at something, um, as I was at boxing, you don't really learn new things. And like I, unfortunately, I, I joined. I, I got an amazing new coach when I when I hurt my eye. I got a new coach, and again, I always thought I was gonna box again. I thought me and him were gonna have a long career training and, and fighting with each other. Unfortunately, I never got back in the ring. Um, but when I even when I got to him, I was 28, 29, and like I, he, he couldn't really teach me new stuff. So like sure, he could put together new combinations, or we could work on like new little little, little nuances, and you can fine tune things. But I already I already knew how to box, so I had my style. So I didn't really learn much, like really, you know. So sometimes you can kind of come away thinking, I didn't learn a lot today. You kind of just like going over the same stuff. But I was in this. I'm now in a real cool position because I go to the wrestling school every single day. Not now, because obviously under lockdown. But when I was, I was going every single day and I was learning six new things a day. And it was brilliant. And every day I'd drive away from come back home with a massive smile on my face thinking, I've learned that today. That's really cool. So I'm, I'm learning loads. And obviously that'll plateau eventually as I kind of get better and learn more. But it's just really cool being in the position to learn stuff. It's, it's, it's It makes you feel good. Makes you makes you really cool, like, good about yourself. Although it's very challenging, and I'm 31, I've got a lot of miles on the clock already from an 18-year boxing career and a few aches and pains. I've had 19 surgeries in my life already, so <laughs> and I've I've taken a few bumps already along the road, and I'm now doing wrestling, which is extremely physical and extremely physically demanding. Um, but it's cool. It is cool, and it's a really big deal because I had an offer from. I mean, AEW is a big deal. I mean, because I had enough from WWE to go there, the biggest company in the world, and I chose, I chose AEW over WWE because um, I believe in what they're doing, and I think it's going to be really cool. And um, and yeah, and so far they've they've maybe think I've picked the right the right place. They're putting some great TV shows on. They're on ITV over here in the UK. So fingers crossed, my profile will continue to rise, albeit in a different. Uh, somewhat different demographic over the next four, five, six years, however long I want to wrestle for. And yeah, then after that, I'll look to do something else new, um, I guess. But up until that time, I'm going to, as we mentioned at the top of this phone call, um, I had all that determination around amateur boxing and becoming an Olympic gold medal. And I got almost there, but I didn't quite get it because of other stuff. And then I turned pro and I shifted that attention to the pro career and I always I thought I was going to get there and that got cut short because of the eye and what I've done I've, I've repackaged all that drive and determination I've got and I'm now channeling it towards professional wrestling and I hope I get that thing I'm searching for I hope I get it from professional wrestling and that's that's what I'm working towards each day I love that man and I know I, I just love to see you know you, you're not you're not taking the, the easy route you're trying something new you're trying a new challenge and uh, i think that's really inspiring thank you mate i really i do i do really i really appreciate that i mean because i, I had some nice offers some nice some really some some quite nice offers to sit behind a commentary table and talk about boxing and yes. and that would have been really easy because um i i know boxing and i can talk so i mean like it's <laughs> no it's um as you, as you found out for the last hour but i um <laughs> It would have been easy for me to do that, but it had been hard for me because I'd have been sitting there watching and talking about and pretending to be happy about people, as I said earlier, like living out my my dream. And that would have been hard for me, but I'm sure, again, they are paying me enough money. They would have paid me enough money to 
to deal with it. <laughs> but that would have been easy for me. And what would I learn? And I would have been a commentator for the rest of my life. And I thought whilst I'm still young and whilst I've still got this drive inside me and, and this ambition to be successful, and whilst I'm still physically able to do so, why don't I try something that's really cool? And I admit, when I was a kid, I used to watch The Rock and Stone Cold, Steve Austin and The Undertaker Wrestle. And, I mean, any... I was about 10, 11 at the time. Any kid then watching wrestling you can't tell me you didn't want to be the rock i mean who doesn't want to be the rock so <laughs> i've i've now got a chance to try and be the rock so it's uh that to me is way more fun um than sitting behind the commentary table or going out and getting a real going out i just don't want to get a real job i'm trying my best to not have to ever get a real job that's pretty much what i'm doing i think the last question i have for you is if you were in a position where you had to give a message to everyone in the world i mean everyone is tuning in and they're going to listen to this message what would anthony agogo's message to the world be yeah uh no no, good question i like that so for me um it's something i'm trying to do now which i didn't do in my boxing career like i mean we've kind of touched upon it already in this conversation but i just want to kind of like like say it in bold so my biggest regret and mistake I made in boxing was I was so keen to get there. I was so keen to become world champion because of the injuries I was I was I was waiting. I felt like my career was on hold and I had to kinda of like catch up. I was so keen so keen to get there and get to the end, get to the end of the race that I totally ignored the journey. I didn't appreciate the steps along the way. I didn't, like, I remember my debut, my debut fight, my, my pro debut, boxed up in Sheffield in front of 10,000 people, I had loads of friends, jumped on a bus, a couple of buses to come watch me, and we, we hired, and uh, my team had hired out uh, <clears throat> a nightclub, uh, a little area in a nightclub to kind of celebrate afterwards, but I boxed three weeks later in New York, and I, I've, I knocked the guy out in round two, a fantastic performance, if I do say so myself, or, or lucky punch, whatever you want to call it. And I, um, and then I, and then I, I, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go and celebrate with my, with my friends and my family because I wanted, I was so focused on the next fight, the next fight, the next fight. So as my there, I'm never ever going to get back. I missed out a cracking night with my friends. Apparently they had a really nice night. Now I didn't have to drink. I could have just went there for a few hours and showed my face and smiled and had a laugh and had a little dance, but I didn't. I chose to go back to my hotel room and, and, and go to bed at 10 p.m. or whatever it was. The point I'm making is, now when you climb a when you climb a when you climb Mount Everest or when you climb a, a mountain, everyone wants to see the view from the top. And some don't get there for whatever reason. Maybe it's too slippy or whatever. I don't know. So someone said to me a long time ago, one like sometimes, oftentimes, the view from halfway up the mountain can be just as nice as the view from the top now you're not choosing that view instead of the top view you just have a look along the way so it's not it's nice to kind of stop sometimes have a look around take it all in and then continue your pursuit to the top and i guess what i'm saying is it's nice to it's nice to enjoy the moments along the way as well as the defining crowning moment and that's something i didn't do in my boxing career and unfortunately i missed out i still had some amazing times don't get me wrong but unfortunately I missed out on a lot of moments along my career, my boxing career, which I could have enjoyed along the way. So if I've got any advice for people, it's, yeah, work hard and be determined and be driven and, and want to achieve this amazing goal that you've set out, you know, 
as a kid or whenever you set the goal. But don't be afraid to take stock along the way, turn around, look at the view whilst you're climbing the mountain. You know, I've asked that question almost a hundred times so far, and that's that's probably one of my favourite answers. I, I love that man. That was that was great. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, where can our, our audience find you on um, on social media? Mate? So uh, Twitter at Anthony Ogogo, A N T H O N Y O G O G O, and Instagram at Anthony Ogogo eleven. Same Anthony Ogogo, one one at the end. Um, yeah, and also I'm doing different stuff as well. I mean, like I'm now. In the midst of this, I've been creating a, a fitness app for a while, actually. And the people, I've been doing it with somebody, and this kind of stagnated the last, like, six months or so. And because of this this lockdown, this this thing we're in at the moment, everyone's stuck at home. So I'm, I've just pumped a load of money, of my own money, into this thing to kind of get up and running now so people can stay fit whilst they're trapped at home. So keep your eyes out for that. I always do some... Some fitness things on Instagram as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I care about people. I care about people's like health and say um, that their health and well-being. But on top of that, because of the things we spoke about earlier, I care about people's mental state as well. And I think that like fitness is the perfect thing for physical and mental uh, well-being. You know, so keep your eyes out for some training stuff I'll be dropping later, and and my little fitness app that I'll be releasing in the next month or so as well. So yeah, that's where you can catch me, Anthony. Thank you for your time, mate. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Cheers, man. I appreciate it. I hope I haven't let you down. (laughs) So that wraps up this week's podcast with Anthony Agogo. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Freedom Pact. And I'll see you guys again here next Monday.